That song does something to you. Man, you guys know the context that song was written in? Just horrible, horrible loss uh, from that author. And yet, the thing that he ends the song with, writing this song, is what? My sin, all the bliss of this glorious thought, right? It's nailed to the cross. My sin, not in part, but the whole. How do you go from a place of incredible grief and pain, some that very few of us in this room could ever experience, it goes to this terrible loss and ends a song, his, his, his whole mindset shifts to, the, to like forgiveness of sin. Sometimes it just feels like that's the farthest thing from like our thoughts when we're suffering or going through pain, but he comes to it and it gives him hope in the hardest of time that I've got this beautiful, the greatest thing I can thank God for and praise God for is the gift of forgiveness. Are we in that place this morning at the end of 2020? If not, I think Psalm 33, where we're gonna look today, is gonna get us there. It definitely got me there in my uh, couple weeks of study. And uh, I'm just looking forward to diving into the text this morning. We are taking a break from the book of John, but just for one Sunday, I promise. So we found it fitting to end this last Sunday of 2020. Can you believe that? Last Sunday of 2020, praising God, just praising God. I'm going to teach a little bit, but at the end of the service, we're not just going to talk about praising God. We're going to do it. I want to encourage you. Call it a challenge, if you will, but it's an encouragement to stand up at the end of the service. And if you have anything to praise God for, I want you to shout it. And I'm going to give you a a helpful tip that I didn't give the 9 a.m. service. You got to shout it for everyone to hear. And you got to shout it, especially for our brothers and sisters online. They need to hear your praise too, okay? So at the end, we're going to have a time to do that, to sing and shout our praise. If you're not a good singer, don't sing, because you're going to be solo, right? But you can shout it. How many of you have a voice right now? Okay, raise your hand. Then be ready to shout it nice and loud for everybody to hear. But I want to praise God this morning, not in spite of 2020, stick with me, not in spite of it, we'll find, muster up some reasons to praise God, I guess. And not praising God that 2020's finally over. My father-in-law said uh, he hasn't stayed up to watch the ball drop in probably 20 years, but this year he's doing it because he wants to run out the front door and yell, thank God it's over! Right, you can do that. But we're not gonna do that this morning. It's not gonna be just praising God because it's over. We're going to praise our God for 2020, okay? So be thinking. We're going to start with some time of reflection. You can daydream and reflect on what God's done in your life in 2020. While I talk, I'm not offended. But just be ready at the end to say it out loud. I want us to be a people of praise in 2021, and that's going to take getting back to it before the year ends here in 2020. I don't think our issues, our problems, our challenges are gonna magically disappear when the ball drops. Some things might change, hopefully, but it might come with a whole new set of challenges and the people of God need to have the praises of God on their lips for a number of reasons that we're gonna talk about today. We've had opportunities to lose hope, but we've also had a lot of opportunities to gain hope to have hope, to see hope, to share hope with the world this year. 
God has been at work in us and through us. I think this year has been good for the people of God because the things that we've been tempted to put our hope in, we're going to talk about this connection between hope and praise. We've had been tempted to put our hope in other things, but those things have crumbled underneath us. The world has felt this in devastating ways. We see the statistics as their world, the things they put their hope in crumble. We see mental health uh, decline. We see all depression, anxiety. We see suicides on the rise. This stuff is happening because what we're finding out is that the things we've been able to put our hope in are crumbling. But we who follow Jesus have an unshakable hope. Hebrews 12, 26 through 28 reminds us that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken through all other created things, or excuse me, though all other created things are going to crumble, Hebrews 12 tells us there's a kingdom that cannot and will not crumble. I believe we've had more opportunities to rediscover our true, unshakable hope this year than ever before. And we're going to have more opportunities in 2021. I sure hope we do. The best people at suffering are Christians because we have a hope that's going to take us to the end. We don't put it in this, the things that we see. We put it in the things we cannot see. So let me ask you, this is the question to end 2020 with. What have you learned about your hope? What have you discovered about hope? Your hope, where it lies and where it doesn't lie. If your hope, if our hope has been in God's unfailing love for us, like we're going to see in Psalm 33 this morning, then our praise will remain. If our hope has been in anything else to comfort us this year, then his praise may fail to be on our lips this morning. That's not an indictment. It's a reality. There's a strong connection between praise and hope. First of all, praise is an expression of our hope. So if you're here this morning and your heart is full of hope in Jesus Christ, and when Libby lights this candle to say that this is our hope in Jesus and his love for us, then I encourage you, out of an abundance of hope, let your mouth shout and sing the praises of God. In that time we have in the end, sing and shout your praise out of the fullness of hope you have in your heart. There are people in this room this morning who might not be in that place. There are people listening online who might not be in that place. They need the praises of God to be on the lips of God this morning, or the lips of his people this morning. We need to sing and shout God's praise, to build each other up. This is one major reason we're called to express that hope through praise when we come together. It's an opportunity you don't get every second of every hour of every day. We get it when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. So praise is an expression of our hope, comes out of a fullness of hope. But the other aspect of praise this morning that I want to talk about is that praise not only expresses our hope, but it can produce hope. There's a terrible lie in Christian culture today, especially among younger generations, uh, that says that, that praise, you have to feel it first. And I come from a charismatic background. I got to feel it. It has to be authentic. And even now, I imagine there's people in their heart and their mind thinking, duh. 
But how many times do we hear in the Psalter, David preaching to his soul, like, like Rod said earlier, bless the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's preaching to his soul because he's in a pit. And he needs to recall and remember all the reasons he has to praise God in that moment. We need to do the same. In all of the darkness and the challenges of this year, when we feel like everything has been taken from us, or some of us feel that way, when we're all alone and we're struggling, we're struggling to feel anything positive in life, there's still a psalm of praise we can offer to the Lord. Think about Job. Satan is allowed to take everything from him. And Job's wife looks at him and says, curse God and die. Job says, I refuse. What does he say? He says, shall we only receive good from God and not also trouble? There's a profound hope and trust in the Lord that Job showcases. Or what about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? He says in Lamentations 3, 19 through 23, I remember my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have, you know it, hope. Therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The reality is that it's in these desert places of wandering and bitterness and gall where our praise has the most power. It has the power to lift our spirit and increase our hope, but it also has the power to encourage and produce hope in our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it especially has power to build up and produce or help others in the world to find, for the first time, hope in God. We're made for this. We're called to this. So we're gonna talk about how praise is an expression of our hope, but we're also gonna talk about how praise produces hope. And again, my hope this morning is that many of you would be willing to stand up and in one or two sentences at the end, shout your praise, boast in God. I think there's three different types of people this morning listening in. I think there's the type of person whose hope is high, like I mentioned before, If you're there, again, I want to encourage you to stand up boldly. Don't be quiet about it. Shout it out. There's a second person, though. And I think this person is a person whose hope is dwindling. It's been dwindling all throughout 2020. Who needs, this person needs to preach to their soul this morning and take time to reflect and remember that their God is the God of their deserts. I think of Faith Fan Inc., sharing her, her wrestle with depression and how she found God and God found her in that, in her desert place. I want to encourage those people to press into our time of praise and find a way to let the words of praise leave their mouths, to get it out there. 
Let your ears hear your mouth praise God. There's power in it. And lastly, I think there's a few people that are here or online today who are suffering with such deep depression or addiction or anxiety or worry or fear or just flat-out exhaustion that you can hardly lift your head to smile this morning, let alone praise God. But I think this is why we need to remember the Psalter was made for corporate worship. It was made for temple worship. God taught his people to gather together to do this. And while we know that the main reason we praise God is because he's deserving of all the glory, there's also this really important truth about praise that we sometimes forget. Praise produces hope. It builds up our hope. It's not just for God, it's for us too. If you're one of those first two people I described this morning, there is someone here who needs to hear your reasons for praising God. There's someone online who needs to hear you yell it loud enough that they can hear it, that they can remember, and that this time of praise can stir up in all of us greater amounts of hope. We need to call our brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to call each other to worship. It's not up to the band. It's not up to the pastors. It's on all of us, this call to worship. So that's what we're gonna be about this morning. I'm gonna teach for a little while, but we're gonna move into that time and get it off your chest, all right? We're almost to the end of 2020. You can run out your door and yell, thank God it's over. But right now, take that time and shout your praise to God. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 33. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into heaps. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death 
and keep them alive even from famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even now as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. You can take a seat. The root word, again, as as Rod mentioned, for praise in Hebrew is halal. That's the root It means to praise, it also means to boast. In some contexts, it means to boast foolishly with great hope in God. This word halal is a part of the most famous phrase in the entire Psalter, halal yah, meaning praise the Lord. And yes, it is where we get that word hallelujah, the modern version. The last five Psalms of our Psalter all start and end. So the very end of our Psalm, the last five books, Just this fireworks of praise. Each psalm ends with that phrase, halal yah, halal yah. And in what I think is the most beautiful and powerful ending to any book we have in our Bible, Psalm 150 ends this grand finale of praise by saying, let everything that has breath, halal yah, praise the Lord, boast in him. In our psalm this morning, the specific word in verse 2, if you want to get your eyes on it, for praise is tehlah. It's a form of the root word halal, and it means to sing and shout your praise to God specifically. I think it's important to note this detail. We need to remember that praise is something we do with our mouths. In some ways in the church, we've broadened the term praise or worship to be this thing that we do with our whole lives, and it's true. And it's biblical, and I agree with it. But tehillah, singing and shouting our praise, is also a specific, important, biblical reality. So we're going to focus on that this morning. Uh, And this specific kind of praise, tehillah, is what David, uh, if we want to get a picture of it, This is what David did when the people of Israel brought the ark into the city the second time. If you remember the story in 2 Samuel, David is singing and dancing. Uh, In fact, some translations or some scholars believe he's kind of in his skibbies, like he's in his underwear singing and dancing, making a fool of himself. So much so that he embarrasses his wife. This, I'm not giving you like the permission to to dance in your underwear this morning at the end, but this is kind of a picture of what we're going for. (laughs) Yeah, you should applause for that. All right? But you get the idea. David is so excited. His hope is full in the Lord, so he praises in such a way. So I'm wondering, I asked this question in the first service. I actually had somebody tell me after the service that they've had this happen. How many of you uh, men in the room have been singing and praising God so much so that your wife had to call you in from the front yard because you were embarrassing her. Maybe you were singing oceans in your underwear or something. Show of hands. Nobody. All right. I won't tell you who it was. Probably be mad at me, but. Hey, that could be our New Year's resolution or like one of our goals in 2021. Men of Crossroads, at least once in 2021, you have to praise God so foolishly that you embarrass your wife. All right? Get to it. In all seriousness, though, 
there is something uniquely powerful about just saying things out loud. Counselors, psychologists, authors, coaches, athletes, and even children's book writers all preach the value of things like positive self-talk and personal mantras to say in front of the mirror each morning. YouTube is filled, if you search celebrities like Denzel Washington and Matthew McConaughey, all these guys saying, you say this one phrase to yourself every morning and every night before you go to bed, it'll change your life. And much of it has legitimate research behind it. This is why, this reality is why in every boxing movie there's one guarantee. There's going to be a curmudgeon old coach in the corner of the ring saying to the boxer, you're the champ, you're the greatest, you're invincible, untouchable. No, he's not. He's trying to hype him up though because words have power. As humans, we're motivated and moved by our words. Now, if we look at the church, some people outside of the church would say, this is all we're trying to do when we worship our, our God. We're just trying to hype ourselves up, positive, wishful thinking, or get an emotional high. We've heard it all. But biblical praise is nothing, nothing like this. In the case of the boxer, unless he really is untouchable, he's never, literally never been touched, and, in, you know, if, if he really is literally invincible, which, which just is impossible, unless those things were true, he has no right to really say them unless he just wants to hype himself up. Christians, on the other hand, Christian praise, when we praise the Lord, we have every right to say the things that we say about God because he's got a track record. He's got a whole history with his people that you hold in your hands this morning to prove it. What's more, we have our own personal testimony to prove it. There's a mountain of evidence that backs the claims we make about our God and gives us confidence in things we have not yet seen. True biblical praise doesn't project anything into the future that God hasn't already proven in the past. When we praise God, we pull truth about him from the past to make bold claims about the present. So we need to acknowledge the power of praising God out loud, and we need to recognize that praise makes claims. In other words, praise isn't only a list of thank yous. Thank you, God, for how you provided for us this year. Thank you, God, for keeping us healthy. Thank you, God, for helping us survive homeschooling. Thanksgiving is one super important aspect of praise, and I'd encourage you to do that type of praise at the end. Lord, thank you for, but it's not everything. It's not the full picture. So what do I mean by claims? Let's look at just a few of the claims that the psalmist is making in Psalm 33, if you wanna get your eyes back on it. I want us to listen to these claims and listen for the commonality in all of them. Verse five, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Verse seven, he gathers the waters of the sea into heaps or jars. Verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. Verse 13, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Verse 18, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. 
right now? What's the commonality? They're all present tense statements. The Lord loves, gathers, foils, looks down, sees, watches, forms, considers. His eyes are on those whose hope is in his unfailing love right now. You see that? What's so significant about this? David is pulling specific memories from his history with God and from Israel's history. Uh, Early on in this psalm, he's thinking of creation. Verse 7, he gathers the waters of the sea. He's thinking of the parting of the Red Sea. He's thinking God holding up the waters of the Jordan River when the priests put their feet in it. In verse 10, he's thinking about how Hushai the archite came in and became part of the council of, uh, of Absalom who was fighting against David and he foiled the plans of Absalom. In verse 13, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. It says, he who forms the hearts of all. No one who's ever walked this earth knows this truth that God sees, forms and sees the hearts of every person better than David. How was David chosen to be king? All his brothers get lined up in a row, right? And on the outside, they all have great reason to be a king. They look like kings for all the right reasons on the outside, but God looks to the heart and chooses David. This is where God looks. David knows it well, and he takes that truth from the past, he pulls it into the present, and he said, he who sees the hearts of everyone. It's a powerful reality. Where praises of thanksgiving tend to keep our thoughts on the past, which again is a really good thing, it's called reflection, we need to do more of it in our busy culture. Making statements about God puts our thoughts on the present. They answer, they answered for David and they answer for us this question, what do those memories from the past say about God today? Being thankful by itself, if that's all we do, has the potential to do one of two things or both if we're not careful. One thing it could do is create in us this what have you done for me lately mentality with God where our praise is very self-centered and utterly dependent on God doing something for us. I can't praise until or unless the money comes or until I land the job or until my loved one is healthy or until fill in the blank. Or it has the potential if it's all we do, to keep our experience of God's goodness trapped in the past. I'm thankful that God did that thing for me way back, but what does that have to do with my current situation? What does that do for me now? Have you ever been there before? Are you there asking that question this morning? I want to encourage us to take our list of thank yous And they're there, and they should be there. And consider what those things say about God himself. It's an incredible practice. If you aren't already doing it, start today. It's simply a practice in taking our eyes off of what God has done for us, which can be a me-focused exercise, and putting our eyes on him, who he was, who he is, and who he always uh, will be, even when we don't feel like it in our current circumstances. 
This practice is, uh, that practice is a God-centered, a God-focused practice. And one of the coolest things about praising God with present tense statements like we see in Psalm 33 and throughout the entire Psalter is that they speak to who God is, what he's capable of, and most importantly, what his character is like. And praise like this builds our hope. And it builds our hope in the right place. It builds our hope in God. We begin to build confidence in his ability to help us in our time of need. That's, that's hope in his power. But also in his ability to do what's best no matter what. That's hope in his character. The world doesn't always understand this. The world thinks our praise is just wishful thinking. The world thinks our praise is just building hype, that emotional high. But for the Christian, it's actually building hope. Hope, not hype. Not only does praise build hope, but it fends off false hope. Look with me to verses 16 and 17 of our psalm. It says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A war horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. This is like the godly version of being cocky. Have you ever experienced this level of hope before? Where you're so confident in God that the thought of putting your hope anywhere else is laughable. I've been there before. And as David like, starts to remember all these reasons throughout the psalm, all these reasons he has to praise God, note he carved out time to do this. The reasons to praise God start piling up. He's remembering, again, all those things from the past. Genesis 1, he's remembering also uh, parting of the waters. He's remembering when God foiled the plans of Absalom. And he's remembering how he was chosen. As he looks back, takes time to reflect, these reasons start to pile up. And as the reasons pile up, his hope and confidence start to build and to grow. It takes work, but it's not inauthentic. It's just remembering. There's power in it. And as he comes to this point in verses 16 and 17 where he realizes and then expresses this reality with his mouth, He expresses the reality that there is nothing in the world more worthy of his hope and his praise than God. Not even great armies with all of his experience as a warrior. It's not even in armies and it's not in the war horse. Like I I said, I've felt this level of confidence in my life during times of praise. Rod and I were talking actually earlier this week of all the disciplines in the Christian faith, the one that I, like, I can really tell if I've lost sight of is praise because I need it so bad. And uh, it builds confidence and it reminds me, it does all these things we're talking about. Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the ways it's helped me fend off trials and I'm grateful for the way it's helped me fend off temptations in my life. But if we don't carve out that time to praise God regularly, more than just on Sunday, we might lose sight of all the reasons we have to praise God. It's like car keys. When do you realize you've lost your car keys? 
It's that morning when you hit snooze way too many times. You pop out of bed, you got five minutes to get ready, you throw your coffee on, because we never forget our coffee, grab the cup of coffee, go into the bathroom to brush our teeth while we're finishing our cup of coffee. Honest confession, done it. You rush out the door, grab all your things, your shoes are half on, you're stepping through two and a half inches, maybe a foot of snow. You get to your car door, you go to grab your keys, and oh no, you lost track of them. When you needed them the most, they weren't there. When your keys should have been in your pocket, when the praises of God should have been on my lips, I didn't have it. If we aren't careful in life, we can get too busy and too caught up in the worries of this life and we, that we can get totally detached from what God is up to in our lives. When this happens, we start to respond to trials differently. Whereas if we would have remembered to carve out time to praise God regularly, in that case, our hope would remain and be on the ready. In the other case, if we don't, we naturally start to put our hope in other things. We get desperate for it. We can start to put our hope in things like our own ability to get through situations or in distractions to help us survive situations or in addictions to help us block out the pain of situations. All the while, it might have just taken that one moment, that one moment to stop, reflect, Remember and say out loud to preach to your soul where your hope really ought to lie in that moment. The noise and chaos of our busy lives can also do something that could be potentially just as devastating, if not more. It can detach us from all that God is up to, not just in our lives, but in our community, in our city, and in the nations. Getting too siloed in our own lives can limit our pool of praises. Have you ever come to church in the morning and not had the praises of God on your lips, but once you heard what God was up to in someone else's life, it gave you confidence again. It gave you hope. It encouraged you. Amen. I heard a yes. I have too. So it's incredibly important to keep fighting to be together online and in person, finding ways through this tumultuous time to sing the praises of God corporately, fighting to carve out time to praise God together for all that he's doing in the body of Christ. We can't get siloed. We can't fall for the temptation to navel gaze. We can't get too wrapped up in the busyness and the worries of this life. Otherwise, the parable will come true that we will get choked out by the worries of this life and by isolation. We need each other's testimonies and to share with each other as much as possible the reasons we each have to praise God. So, looking back at our passage today, many scholars believe that Psalm 33 is meant to actually be read with Psalm 32 as an extension of it. This isn't super common, but there are a lot of connections from one psalm to the other throughout the 150 psalm collection. This one is especially unique. Psalm 32 in the superscript is called a maskil. That means instruction. And in it, King David himself is instructing the people. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but through how to 
how to deal with unconfessed sin. But at the end of the masculine, at the end of this instruction, King David gives one last instruction. Praise the Lord. He calls the whole nation <laughs> to get to the temple and praise the Lord. So think about this for a minute. I, I think uh, our final collection of 150 psalms was arranged and organized somewhere around 515 B.C. during the second, second temple period when Israel's reestablishing temple worship. And I think it was Ezra who kind of organized and arranged the final, uh, the final collection the way we have it. He didn't write them all. He wrote a few, but he was the arranger. So to Ezra, you read Psalm 32, and you hear your king, King David, the greatest king of all time, say in an instructional psalm, praise the Lord. I think if I'm Ezra, I'm getting a little anxious. Be like, the king just called us to worship. We, we need to step into that. So this is why a lot of people believe they should be read together because you can't end 32 with just a note of instruction to do it. You need to do it. And I want us to see this movement, this trajectory. How much of an instinct is this for us? Would we be like ancient Israel who God trained to be a people of praise? Would we be like that? When God moves in our hearts, would you call a friend? Would you send a text message? Would you throw a party? They did. It was an instinct to them. I think it's incredible, and I think we should be about this too. I just think God taught his people that there's a strong connection between praise and hope. Similar to other core realities in our Christian faith, like faith and action, or love and obedience, hope and praise go hand in hand. Jesus says about love that if you love me, you'll what? Obey my commands. James says, show me your faith without action, and I'll show you my faith by my action. Similarly, I think the writers of the Psalter again and again seem to be saying about hope, show me your hope without praise. And I'll show you my hope by my praise. And the Psalter helps the people of God by showing us that we have a reason to praise God no matter what we're going through. It's said that there's a psalm for every season of the soul. And as you march through the Psalter, over a thousand years of Israel's history of people singing and shouting praise, there is not a situation you're going through that someone hasn't, that's not expressed in the Psalter. And as we move through the Psalter, there's this trajectory towards praise in the whole collection as itself. I mentioned those five last books of the, of the, the Psalter end in halal yah, halal yah, halal yah, halal yah. Everything's moving us towards praise in every season, no matter what we're going through. God knew the importance of it. That's why. It wasn't just for him. Do you know today, praise is not just for God. His ego doesn't need help. It's for his people too, that we can keep our hope rooted in him. It's a win-win. And as we get get closer to this time where we're going to close with our chance 
We've heard the testimonies. Now you get to give a testimony, all of us together, and sing and shout our praise. I want to show you my favorite thing about Psalm 33. I love the way it ends. Get your eyes on verses 18 through 22 with me. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, even famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even now as we put our hope in you. What I love about this ending is that we find out the greatest reason why David is putting all of his hope in the Lord in the first place. Why is it? It's his said. It's his unfailing love. Of all that list of things that David just rattled off to praise him, what he ends with, what he arrives at, the conclusion of all things, is his greatest hope is in God's unfailing love. It's just like that song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's almost identical. David is putting his hope in the Lord and calling the nation of God to praise God because of his unfailing love. That's what it's all about. Look back with me to Psalm 32, 3 and 4, just really quick. If you don't want to look there, I'll just summarize it here. David's in anguish. But then he confesses his sin and God forgives him. He goes on to say in verse 10, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds, surrounds the one who trusts in him. David's all pumped up and hopeful and confident because he just experienced God's unfailing love surrounding him. He stopped hiding his sin. He stopped holding back from God and he confesses to the Lord. So just as a side note this morning, if you're there this morning, you got good company for one. Two, if you need to get something off your chest, you need to confess some sin to the Lord that's holding you back from this abundance of praise that should, can be on your lips, We've got a prayer space over here, and I know there's people who'd be glad to pray with you. We'll have time of worship at the end. Maybe that's your chance. I love this ending. It just makes my heart want to explode. David's been thinking about it as he wrote the whole psalm. He's calling the entire nation to boast in God and to praise his name, not because he conquered some mighty army or because God gave him some great victory or because David's health was restored or because he won an election or because some restrictions were lifted. No. It's because God forgave his sins. How many of us are in love with this aspect of God's character? How many of us would take this aspect of God's character over anything else? Take everything from me, but give me Jesus. It's not a cliche. And how many of us, again, I'll ask you, would throw a party over being forgiven and invite all of our friends and family to attend? Maybe this is what New Year's could look like for you. When the ball drops, thank you for forgiving my sins. I'm saying it with a smile, but I think it'd be amazing. A celebration of God's has said. 
This experience of God's loving kindness is something that each one of us has had and has probably examples from from 2020. I want you to just start reflecting on that. David was obsessed with God's love more than anything else in life. In fact, in Psalm 63, David even says that God's love is better than life. Can you say that this morning? Here, as a primer to singing and shouting our praise, let's say this together. God, your love is better than life. Can you say it? Let's try it again. You with me? Are we awake? Repeat after me. God, your love is better than life. All right. We'll get there. Hey, I grew up in a charismatic church. There is nothing you can do to spook me when it comes to praising. All right? Get warmed up. Are we a people who long for God's love more than we long for anything else in life? Are we a people who have experienced it and who boast in it every opportunity that we get? If we are, then nothing that we face in 2021 can rob us of our hope or steal the praises of God from our lips. Do you believe that? If your hope is in God, you will not be disappointed. He'll never let you down. You will never lack anything you need. You will never get put to shame. Your hope will never disappoint, Romans 5, 5. So if you're racked with guilt and shame this morning, put your hope in God's unfailing love that promises if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you. He'll surround you with his unfailing love and he'll sing songs of deliverance over you. If you're weighed down by anxiety and worry, put your hope in God's unfailing love that says, cast your cares on me. Cast them on me and I'll sustain you. You may not get through them immediately, but I'll sustain you. If you're wrestling with bitterness about how the, all the ways this year hasn't worked out for you, put your hope in God's unfailing love that says, I'm doing things you can't even see, and it's working out for the good of those who love me. And if you're fighting a battle with addiction, put your hope in God's unfailing love that's stronger than any army or horse and more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. Let's put our hope in the Lord at the end of 2020. Let's express it with our praise. Let's strengthen it with our praise. And let's produce praise in other people by doing so. It just takes the discipline of carving out time like we're going to right now to reflect and remember God's love and it takes a testimony like David gave to the people of God. We've had the chance this Advent season to hear four incredible testimonies, but right now, I want us all to think about this year, think about what God has done, and again, you can stand and shout thanksgiving to God, and you should, but you can also think, what is that thing that I'm so thankful for have to say about my God and boast in him. Make a claim. Um, I know this isn't something that we do all the time. Uh, but I think, 
I want to close this in prayer, and I just want to give you a chance uh, again, and I've said it probably like a broken record. There are people in this congregation, and there are people online who need to hear the praises you have on your lips, okay? So don't be ashamed. Don't think people are going, oh, look at that righteous person. That's not what this is about. Boast foolishly with great hope, okay? And again, say it loud enough for those people online to hear. We had some incredible time of praise in the 9 a.m. service, and some of those I wish we could get back just to push them out there. If you're online, uh, please take the time to write in the post, write in the chat your praises to the Lord, because you guys are gonna be testifying to one another. There are eyes on the screen that need to see what you're gonna type. All right, let me pray, and then one bold soul will get us started. Heavenly Father, you are so, so good. You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you love your people so much that you're willing to send them into a desert. You're not just willing. It's like you're compelled to. And thank you, Lord, that you're not a God that sits up in heaven and just watches us suffer and squirm. But you get down in the desert with us. You pitch your tent with your people and you say, I'm going to walk with you in this. Just put your hope in me. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Lord, your unfailing love that never leaves us, that's always with us, that surrounds us, is our greatest reason to praise you. But Lord, we have so much more. So I pray that as a body here at Crossroads in the city of Grand Rapids, we would do what David did. We would stop and just think of all the reasons we have to praise and we would boast foolishly about you. We're proud of you. We want the world to know how amazing you are. We want the world to see the hope that we have. So we just give this time to you, Lord. I pray that it's a fragrance that rises up to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.